Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Greg Wells. I met Greg a few months ago at the Heartfulness at Work Summit in Toronto, where we were both speaking as presenters, and I was blown away by his presentation. Greg is the author of The Focus Effect, The Ripple Effect, and also a book called Super Bodies, Peak Performance Secrets from the World's Best Athletes. You don't want to miss this episode, so I invite you to sit back, relax, and let's connect. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Let's Connect. I am so looking forward to having Dr. Greg Wells on the program today. Greg is an outstanding individual who is doing some amazing work on our planet, helping people uh, stay connected and claim back their time, figure out their priorities, live their best life. Um, He's somebody who's quite an adventurer himself, uh, just based on watching his keynote um, recently in Toronto, where we were both speaking at the Heartfulness at Work Summit. I was just so blown away by all of the experiences that he's had in his life. Um, He's somebody that strikes me as always pushing towards the edge of life to get the most out of life and really experience um, all that it has to offer. So today we're going to jump into a conversation and uh, see where it goes. And I'm just really, really looking forward to speaking with him and having you also learn about his work on the planet. Before we get into the conversation, I wanted to uh, just remind you all, if you haven't already, um, just a welcome to sign up to my inspirational emails that happen every day. I every morning send out a daily intention email, which um, goes out and starts your day off on the right note. So if that's of interest, you can find out about that at my website, keithmcpherson.ca. And uh, also, I'm really excited to announce that myself and Charlotte Jackson, who's an educator in the school system in Winnipeg, Manitoba, my hometown, uh, we put together a program that recently came out called Pono Life Schools, And in particular, this program is called The WISE Program. And we've put together 20 lessons for students uh, and teachers to integrate more mindfulness practice into the classroom. Um, It's a really, really cool program. We're giving away one of the lessons for free right now at the website. So you can find out more about that at ponolifeschools.com. Pono is a, a Hawaiian word meaning effectiveness is the measure of truth. And uh, it's one of the guiding principles in my life, and I found it to be quite a practice. So um, please go check that out as well, if, especially if you're a teacher and looking for some ways to bring some calm into your classroom. Pono Life Schools is, a, is something to check out for sure. And uh, finally, just before we get to the interview with Greg today, I just wanted to thank you all for tuning in every week to this podcast, and um, just wanted to remind you to subscribe and stay in touch Every week, I interview a thought leader, somebody that's doing amazing things on the planet and inspires us and inspires hopefully you as well. So speaking of inspiration, uh, somebody that's recently really inspired me is Dr. Greg Wells. So without further ado, let's uh, jump into the conversation. And here is Greg Wells. All right, I'm here with Greg uh, Wells, Dr. Greg Wells. I'm so excited that you're here on the podcast. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this to happen, and uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm so psyched. I know we've been talking about this forever, so it's great to finally get a chance to sit down and chat and uh, throw some ideas around. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's so fun. Absolutely. Well, I uh, I first encountered your work when we were sharing a stage at the uh, Heartfulness at Work Summit in Toronto. It wasn't that long ago. And uh, everybody was given one of your books, The Focus Effect, there. And I have to say, I haven't been able to put that book down. I'm just absolutely loving uh, what you've captured in there. It's so simple, but so profound at the same time. And uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Right on. Yeah, I'm glad you liked that one. Um, that the out like that book sort of came about by accident. Like I was sitting at the back of a conference with uh, a buddy of mine, Bruce Bowser, who I wrote the book with. And we were sitting there looking around I'm like, oh my God, everybody's on their phones and there's these epic speakers on stage. We're like, what is happening here? And then we went for a walk and as we're out walking around Zurich uh, in Switzerland, like a whole bunch of people nearly bumped into us because they were on their phones uh, walking around the streets. We're like, this is insane. And then uh, Bruce, you know, I jokingly said, yeah, let's just write a book about this. And Bruce goes, okay. 
And I was like, oh, no, I mean, I was just joking. Like, can we should write a book? And he's like, no, no, let's, let's actually write a book about this. So sure enough, we, uh, start, we tried to take some time to throw some ideas around. And before you know it, we, we had a whole bunch of stuff happening and a bunch of chapter titles and, and then, uh, yeah, the book came out and it's gone remarkably well. It's actually taken off in the last few months, even though it's been out for over a year. So I'm glad that you liked it. And there's some pretty cool ideas in there, just all about managing the the era that we're in right now, which is sort of, you know, the era of constant unrelenting distraction, which I think is stealing our lives away from us. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, I'm glad you liked it. That's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that that was one of the things that I took away too when you were up on stage speaking at the uh, conference was just, I came away not just feeling it mentally, but like an actual embodiment of, oh my gosh, it's possible to actually claim back my time. Like I really am getting that sense from you and the work that you're doing is that you're, you're an advocate for that. Yet it seems so impossible in our, our day and age to, to get away from our phones and to get away from our work. Um, I mean, for somebody that's, well, I think most of us are struggling with that. Where does somebody even start with that? I mean, how do we find or claim back our time? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And that's the ultimate question, actually, is like, how do we get control of our time? I would actually argue it goes far beyond that. It's like, how do you get control of your life? Yeah. So there's, you know, getting control of your time, which is which is fine. Then there's getting control of your priorities, which is sort of the next level up. And then there's the ultimate level up from that, which is taking control of your life. And uh, I think that we lose control of our time. Therefore, we lose control of our priorities. Therefore, we lose control of our life. And we need to sort of reverse engineer that whole process. So the first step, I think, is really for people to say that um, I am actually willing to try to get control of my time, my priorities, my life. And I'm going to fight to make that happen. Uh, And it's I think a lot of us feel like our lives are out of our control. We don't have control of our time. And... I think that it's absolutely crucial that we consider that uh, we need to actually start start doing this and start really thinking about how do we make this happen as soon as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. So the step first step is like, you know, how can you get control of your time? That means, uh, you know, when do you schedule your meetings? When do you, you know, scheduling your workouts as part of your weekly routine? When are you going to do your um, uh, phone calls. When are you going to do your budgeting? When are you like, and just sort of like thinking through what it is that you have to do and getting it into your calendar and then relentlessly defending that time to the best of your ability, given that it is, you know, constantly under pressure from everybody else that's trying to get your time and take it away from you. Uh, so that's one way. The next thing that I, I strongly recommend that people really consider doing as much as they can is to start turning off all of the notifications on all of your devices so that Uh. your time is yours and you're not responding to other people on their terms, but you're responding, you know, you're doing what you want to do when you want to do it. And that's uh, another massive one that I found to be incredibly helpful for, for me. It's just like, when I want to look at my email, I will look at my email, but I'm not looking at it when I get pinged. I'm looking at it when I actually want to make that happen. So Anyway, that's my Brilliant. just a few things to get us started, and uh, yeah, I think that that's that's uh, you know uh, just the bare minimum. But make the decision you want to take control of your time, and then start defending it like crazy from other people taking it away from you. Wow, I love that. I totally could use some of that advice. I you speak about priorities too, and this is such an interesting piece of this because, um, like you say, so many of us have out of whack priorities, like they're just not prioritized, right? What are, what, is there a proper way to prioritize? Like what are the top priorities in people's life or what should they be? Well, there's, I don't want to, you know, pretend to know that, uh, what other people's priorities should be just as an aside, another sort of interesting uh, thing I've been working really hard on is, is language. Cause your words determine your reality. And, uh, I'm trying really hard not to be like, you should do this and uh. re- just rephrasing should into can, you can do this. It's a lot different. Um, so somebody can, I was just going to say, somebody recently told me it's time to stop shooting on ourselves, Like literally. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Literally. Like, and as soon as you say should implies it, like you should do this. It means like, I'm, you know, there's a whole bunch of psychology that goes along with it that I don't love. So, um, you can put, uh, choose to spend your time on your priorities. Your priorities are yours. It's super important for you, the listener to, 
uh, consider what are your priorities? Like, what is the most important thing in your life? I think a lot of us don't even know what that is. Uh, you know, I didn't a few couple years ago, if you'd asked me like, what's the most important thing in your life? I would have been like, uh, um, I, I'm, I guess it's work and some family and some fitness like stuff. Right. But like that can get really granular and you can really figure out like actually what are your priorities? And then once you know what your priorities are, you check your time against your priorities and you'll quickly see that there is or is not a disconnect between the way that you're spending your time and whether or not what you're spending your time on matches to what is important for you in your life. And then the grand challenge becomes, how do you start to reallocate your time to spend more of it on the things that you think are important? And you have to remind yourself of that on a daily basis because otherwise your time gets hijacked. We're so busy. There's so much stuff going on. There's so many things to do. There's so many competing uh, responsibilities that we have. And that's fine. Like, you've, you know, you've got to drive your kids to soccer practice or whatever it is. And, um, you know, that may not match with your priority of getting yourself into the best shape of your life, but it's just something that you have to do. So there's competition that you've got to sort of trade off, mm. but it, those are all decisions that you make. Those are all things that are, are that are under your own control. Therefore, uh, I think that it's an opportunity for us to actually get control of our lives. But step one is really, uh, take some time, take a few days, uh, think deeply what matters to you. What are the things that you want to do in your life? What are the things that matter to you the most? Write them down. Uh, you prioritize them like what's the most important what's the next important what's the least important to you i think that having three to five is probably as much as any of us can handle at any given moment but if you can handle more fabulous just make sure that you know like what the order rank of those is and then go into your calendar and you know do a do a comparison check and if you're on target and if your actions map to your ambitions then that's phenomenal and if they don't map to your ambitions then you've got some work to do around how you allocate your time and then defending defending your time to make sure that it gets reallocated accordingly wow it seems so simple yet i mean this practice can be quite challenging it's uh but so necessary right now in the in the world that we're living in like you say yeah i, I mean it's simple but the, it's simple but it's a massive amount of work Yes. Right. Like it's, it's a simple, simple concept, priority management, not time management, S simple concept. The challenge is, is you've got to sit there by yourself. You've got to journal. You got to figure out like, what is important to me? That's a hard question to ask for a lot of people. You got to talk to your spouse. You got to, you know, obviously work is important. You got bills to pay. Obviously family is important. We, we, you know, we want to spend time with the people that we love. Obviously health is important. That's fine, but you got to really get that stuff down and understand it, what it is for you. Yeah. That is not a short process. That's a lot of work and thinking and writing and discovery, personal discovery. Yeah. The next challenge is then you take what you've written. You've got all of that stuff. I actually do it in color on big, huge pieces of paper. Uh, and then you compare that against your time allocation to your calendar and you look at it. And I mean, that in and of itself is another days to weeks of work because you're doing time studies, you're checking out what's going on and you're seeing, oh my God, my priority is this, but I'm actually doing that. And then this thing happened and it threw it all out of whack. <clears throat> so you're like navigating all of that stuff. And then you're like, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to actually do what Greg and Keith are talking about. And then, you know, you make a small change where you're like, I'm going to get up early and start working out. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. All of a sudden now we're starting to get control. Okay. Friday nights are dinner with the family. That is untouchable time. And now you're starting to get that under control. And then you're like, I want to prioritize my sleep because I'm exhausted all the time. Okay, so at nine o'clock at night, all the devices go away and you're going to start your decompression routine to enable you to fall asleep at 10 o'clock. Then you're starting to get control of your sleep. Like this is a simple, simple idea with ripple effects throughout our entire life. So it is a simple idea that requires a massive amount of work to uh, accomplish. And that might seem overwhelming to people, which is why um, the idea that I talked about in my previous book, The Ripple Effect, The 1% Gains, uh, which is, you know, by no means my idea. There's many other people that have that have written about that through thousands of years. Uh, but the idea of doing just 1% incremental gains to slowly get control of your time and your life is a great way to move forward. So you don't need to do all of it at once, but maybe you just like take control of your morning routine, take control of your evening routine six months later, take control of your lunch times, you know, the following year. Like we're talking, this is a like a, a long, long process. There's absolutely no rush. Um, 
but it is a very very simple idea that in, in that does take some time and discipline and commitment to uh to make happen and the way to make it actually happen over a long period of time is just make checking your priorities first thing in the morning when you wake up or as close as possible to when you when you wake up part of your part of your daily routine oh, i love all this this is so great i um i'm also as i'm hearing you speak about this and oftentimes when i'm speaking with clients coaching clients on this um they find like there's this sort of tendency to think like when i start prioritizing my life or putting time management in place it becomes like you say it's, it's a lot of work and it kind of misses out sometimes on the fun factor so how do you account for making this stuff fun so that you actually want to do it because i think there's something about that that's really important any thoughts on uh, that yeah it's so funny um because i haven't actually thought about that being the type a uh you know hyper over a Anyways, yeah, so I've got some work to do on that one. Maybe we can do a coaching call on that one, you and I. The, the fun factor. Um, yeah. The fun factor. Right. So here's the thing. The first thing that popped into my head is you actually have to make sure that, you know, if fun is a priority, you need to do stuff that is fun. Um, schedule. I try to schedule in, especially in the summer, bike rides with my friends on the weekend. And, you know, I, I know that at 6 a.m. we all meet, we all go for a bike ride on Sundays, and that's the best part of the year. Um for me because I just love doing that and I love spending that time with my friends. Um, I do prioritize fun things for me. Fun is taking my daughter to and from swim practice. So that is a priority when I'm in Toronto. That is fun for me. And then I think around fun with regards to this process of defending your time and doing priority management, not time management, really revolves around one core idea. And I think that once you get this core idea into place and you start testing it, and again, this is another massive you know, piece of work to think about because uh, it's not easy and it takes, an, it takes a lot of practice to try to make this, uh, turn this into reality for you, is the idea of process, not outcome. Mm. So when we think about, you know, oh, I've got to get you know, control of my life and you know, get my schedule optimized, I'm spending all my time on my priorities and all those sorts of things, that's fine but it's inevitably going to cause stress and you're going to have a gap between where you are now and what you've modeled or what you've sort of uh, the dream that you've established for yourself with regards to how you want to be spending your time. Right. That gap inevitably causes some sort of angst and or like, oh, you like, you know, like that slumping down. Yeah. Um, Alan Stein Jr. calls it the performance gap and there's a number of other terms for it but you can check him out in his book which he's written uh recently all about that which i think is called raise your game but anyway um when we shift from outcome into process and we choose to love the process or find joy in the process of gradual constant learning and experimentation and optimization and gradually getting better and you enjoy that, like it's interesting and fun to try to figure out how to get your workouts in. It's interesting and fun trying to figure out how do I get better food at my desk during the day. It's interesting <laughs> and fun to be like, how do I spend time doing creative work and not get caught up in busy work? If it's enjoying the process, like I enjoy the process of doing these podcasts. I love having these conversations. It's super fun, yeah. but it does take an hour. It does take uh, time to get scheduled. It does take some time to prepare, like all of these things. And so uh, it's important for us to, to think about that and to um, like, I, I, and when we do think about it and you get into this idea of process, not outcome, that I think is what opens up a lot more positivity mm. and uh, a lot more enjoyment and takes away a lot of the pressure and the angst and the negativity associated with the performance gap that we observe when we're maybe not necessarily doing all of the things that we want to be doing at all of, of the time. So anyway, yeah, yeah love, that's the shift that. of process, not outcome. I, uh, when you're speaking about outcome and process too, I, I'm just recalling your, your um, experiences that you were sharing in your talk. I, I really got the sense from you that you're quite uh, an adventure junkie, perhaps, where you just, you're, it seems like you're constantly in process of, uh, in all of the travels. Like, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Just some of your, um, your take on just adventure and being in the moment. I just totally loved what you had to say about that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, one of my passions is travel. Um, I really do love trying to get out there and do extreme things in the world. 
that includes climbing mountains that includes riding my bike across deserts or continents in some cases, <laughs> amazing. um, swimming yeah. with sharks, uh, <laughs> playing with my kids in the park, right? Like getting out on the paddleboard in the, in the icy cold water, wow. um, in the winter. Like I, I love doing stuff that pushes the limits of what I am capable of. Uh, I heard a great, great quote that, uh, mountains very rapidly show you who you are. Because as you climb a mountain and you get under stress and you get into into sketchy situations and in very difficult environments, it doesn't leave a lot of room for you know anything else other than who you are. And you discover who you are in those moments because your worst characteristics will come out when you're under stress, and that may or may not be a good thing. So, uh, but it, when it when it does happen, you then know you know the, the grand the grand work that you need to do to try to fix that or not, or develop further, depending on what happens. So yeah, I, so in 2003, I, I had the opportunity to go and ride my bike across Africa with a group of people. And, uh, okay. that was the first, uh, tour d'Afrique, which ended up getting in the Guinness book of world records. Um, I didn't cause I got hit by a cow in Malawi and got sick in <laughs> Ethiopia and a couple other things, but it was an incredible expedition to be a part of. Wow. Um, eight of my friends got in the Guinness book of world records, which was super cool for them. Uh, in 2015, we climbed, uh, my grad students, myself and a doc from sick kids and his friends from Germany climbed a, uh, a mountain in Ecuador called Chimborazo, which is the farthest point from the center of the earth. We wanted to be the closest humans to the stars. Oh wow! That was one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life physically and mentally. <laughs> uh, and then more recently I've kind of gotten into shark diving. So, you know, getting out of the cage, swimming with the sharks in the open ocean, uh, and that itself is also a pretty crazy, uh, experience where you learn a lot about, you know, being in the moment because you have no other choice. There's a shark in your face. You can't be thinking about what's going on back at the office. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, or even like what's happening back on the beach with your family, like you're, you're, wow. you're, you're there with, with them. So, uh, yeah, I just love doing that because you discover what your mind is capable of, you discover what your body's capable of, you discover all sorts of things about yourself when you really push the limits of what, what's going on. So, wow. um, yeah, that's a, a sort of a part-time hobby. I'm, I'm searching for the next thing. Um, if you know, if anyone's interested, they can message me. We actually have a, a trip coming up in December of 2019. Uh, and, uh, that's to Thailand. We'll be doing another one in, in the new year. And the, what we're doing is taking people out to learn new skills. So in this case, it's Muay Thai and, and free diving in the ocean off Thailand. Uh, but we'll be doing other types of adventures like that with uh, a group called Create Momentum. So uh, wow. if anyone's interested in those sorts of things, and they want to get on our list to find out about different events in the future and come along with us as we explore these learning opportunities uh, and push ourselves to limit with great instructors. Um, in controlled environments, not like we're deliberately exposing ourselves to danger. It's sort of like climbing, a, you know, doing rock climbing, but making sure that your harness works, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, that's the, that's the, yeah, that's the the next sort of wave is experiential learning and doing that at scale with people. So I'm pretty fired up about that opportunity in the future, and I've lo loved doing it in the past. And I'll, you know, I'm I'm personally searching for the next big expedition to do. Not quite sure when that's going to happen, but mm. uh, yeah, lots of lots of different adventures like that on the horizon. I hope. Wow, so good. When I'm hearing you speak about all the adventures you you take and going right to the edge, how much of this correlates back to like um, when you're a kid? I know you'd mentioned uh, a little bit about when you were a kid and you had that accident. Anything there around <laughs> the correlation? Between I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to go into that psychology. Or not. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why do you push? The, why do you try to do things that are super dangerous? Um, <laughs> I, I probably haven't done the deep work necessary to think about that. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing that I've, I discovered when so I was a competitive swimmer, broke my neck when I was 15, came back, ultimately made Olympic trials the following year, uh, trained for another four years after that, swam Olympic trials in 2019 with, uh, University of Calgary, a bunch of my friends made the Olympics, went to the Olympics as a common, uh, as an assistant with CTV, uh, you know, just cause I, I could at the summer off at 21 years old. So went and did that. It was a blast. And then with swimming, we traveled a lot all over the world that sort of sparked my love of travel in foreign countries. And then after that, you know, all through my twenties, um, I was fortunate enough to have a mentor, um, who was a traveler. And so, uh, Mark Temple, who was one of my coaches when I was growing up and he sparked my interest in travel. So I went to um, Peru, which is uh, a pretty amazing place in 1996, right after their civil war, which, uh, meant that there was no, no tourists there. And I was the only English speaking person. So it was a great time to be there. Like I was in Machu Picchu all by myself. 
uh, two years later, I went to Egypt and uh, spent some time at the pyramids and you know the Temple of Karnak and um, all that sort of stuff. Actually, that was right around a terrorist attack too. So there was not a lot of tourists wow. there at that time either. Uh, and then very shortly after that, did the Tour d'Afrique bike ride. So I mean, it's just been something that it's been a passion that I've pursued throughout my life, which I think is all has ultimately served me tremendously. I have friends all over the world now. Um, but also I think that when you have a good understanding of other cultures and you see that not everything is the same everywhere that you go, uh, even, you know, the way people perceive the news, for example, I'll never forget when I got to Egypt in 98 and I was sitting in my hotel in Cairo and I just picked up the newspaper and read the newspaper. And I was like, it's just a completely different worldview. Like how these people are describing what's going on in the world right now is totally different than what I just read in Amsterdam on the pit stop on the way over here. Like, how is it that we are reading the same events, but they're described in two totally different ways. And I was like, Oh my God, that's like, wow. How, like, if you just sort of think about that in a microcosm and that's imagine the same event being described in two different ways in our political environment right now, right? Same event, two completely different interpretations of the exact same event. Both groups think that it's true. Yes. And it's probably, you know, probably neither group, neither group being actually true. And there's some sort of middle ground that, that exists if you're actually on the ground seeing this stuff. So, all of that stuff was super helpful. And I think that that's one of the big reasons why in the future, I will always take my children with me and travel with them to uh, different countries that they see different cultures, they see different ways of living, they understand that you're not limited to only one way of operating or only one way of thinking. It's important to consider other points of view so that you inform yourself about all the different ways of thinking about things so that you can then make a decision about how you want to operate in the world. So I think it was pretty formative. And I'm kind of addicted to it. I'll probably continue, hopefully con- continue to keep doing travel all through my life. My mom and dad are traveling all over the world deep into their 70s. So, oh, wow. uh, you know, that's inspirational to know that it's possible, uh, you know, all the way through your retirement. So, yeah, I, I think that travel is important. So you learn a lot of great things. It's been fun, learned a ton and hopefully keep doing it in the future. Amazing. I'm loving what you're saying about perspective. And another perspective that really intrigued me at your talk was you said before you go on stage, you often listen to music or maybe all the time listen to music. And uh, I, I could really feel your your passion for music. I also am a musician, so I really connected with that part of your talk. And I'd love for you just to elaborate a little bit on, on why music before you go speak and the power of music for you, in your opinion. Yeah. Um, music's really cool. Uh, I love music. I can't play music, but I love listening to music. <laughs> and it's uh, my... I, you know, I liked music when I was growing up very, very early. I remember when I was like four years old, five years, old, I don't remember. I've just been heard this, told this story um, that I would get up in the middle of the night, go downstairs in my house and put on um, classical music and go to sleep on the couch. My mom really? would have to come down at like three o'clock in the morning, come get me, bring me back upstairs. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I've, I have no idea. I actually remember the albums, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir Christmas music. I have you know, no idea why I liked that particular album <laughs> or even why we had it but we did and I liked it and I would play it all the time. Uh, and then, so I got into country music later when I was, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12, no idea how that happened. Cause my parents certainly didn't listen to it. Um, and then discovered rock music and, you know, all the way through my t- teenage years, listened to bands like Genesis and the who and not the police and Peter Gabriel. Cause that was the eighties, right. Cause I'm old. Uh, <laughs> and, um, uh, but it's it sort of start, when I was racing as a swimmer, I would always play specific songs before I raced to psych myself up. Ah. So I think interestingly, even when I was younger, I had an instinct for the fact that I could control my mood using music. And then after um, after university and uh, all that, as I was building, you know, the, the apartments and the homes where I lived, uh, and I don't mean building them, just like, but you know, controlling my space and getting some furniture and some stuff like that. I always loved having good speakers, so it's it's funny. I've always had good music equipment around me to listen to great music. Uh, and then recently, it's been you know, as my the pressure in my life is sort of, or the pressure that I put on myself in my life to reframe that properly uh, is is increasing. I've started to really use music again as a tool to like decompress on the way home, listening to great Jack Johnson, for example. Um, who's just a, you know, my idol in life. Cause he's a professional <laughs> surfer and musician Yeah, like from Hawaii, like, cause it could it be any better anyway. So I listen to that type of stuff on the way home from work. I'll listen to, you know, Zeppelin and the who or like whoever on the way to work to get psyched up. If I'm doing a speech, um, I've actually started to ask 
uh, people to play certain songs before I get on to speak now at events. So that like during the break, before I speak, there's certain music to set the tone for the crowd. Ah. Um, really trying to get good music into our homes that my children grow up listening to music pretty much constantly at in the house and also, uh, you know, on the way to and from school. So I think that you can craft a soundtrack to your life. And if you do that intentionally, rather than just randomly with your new music on shuffle, you can really elevate everything that you're doing. So just like imagine having a dinner party at your house and having no music in the background versus if you have a really great playlist going on in the background during a dinner as you're having a beautiful glass of wine with some great friends like it's totally different and i think that's sort of like a little bit of an analogy for what life can look like if you use all of the things that are around us to make life better oh i love that (laughs) absolutely speaking about the soundtrack of your life i I'm just curious what like a typical day, and I'm sure it's always a little different, but what a typical day would look like in the life of Dr. Greg Wells. I mean, it seems so intentional the way you speak. I just, I'd love to know. Like, do you plan well, out your yeah, day? There's, like, there's intention and then there's reality. I mean, yeah. What is there's a massive gap between those two things, but right. Um, you know, we're const- I'm constantly sort of trying to optimize stuff. I really want to, I was describing it to someone the other day, actually my father-in-law was in town and somehow this came up and, and I was like, yeah, so I want to get dug up in a thousand years from now and someone to look at my skeleton and be like, holy crap, what happened to this guy? Right? <laughs> like, I just want that level of experience. So that, like, there's breaks and bruises and it's like a, like a programmed smile into my skeleton. I don't know. But like, <laughs> I, I just wanted to like deliberately wring every last drop out of this life while I am here for who knows how long. Wow. And um, so yeah, there's intention and then there's reality. There's no question a gap because stuff happens. that's out of your control, but I try to at least go into it with some, uh, intention. I try to get up early. That varies depending on a whole bunch of different things, including travel and whether or not my kids get up in the middle of the night and all those sorts of things. But the earlier I get up, typically the better my days, try to get some exercise in early, 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 um, run a, like there's a little thing I've been calling the three W's, which is you, you wake up, that's the first W, then you get into water, second W mm. that's either in a shower or in the lake, depending on, or the pool, depending on where I am. And then the third one is water to drink. So it's, you know, wake water out, water in. It's mm. a great way to sort of start the day. Wow. Um, I will probably at that point scan the day to see what's going on just to like take a quick look at my schedule and see what I've got programmed for that day whether I have to travel or if I have meetings or if I have talks or depending on what I have to accomplish that day, creative days have been admin days change the sort of approach. Uh, I will then typically do a 90 minute block of work uh, after I get my kids out the door and eat some food. Um, Food being pretty deliberate first thing in the morning, a lot of protein, a lot of fat, uh, just to sort of get my brain set for the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, 90 minute block of really hard work, take a break, snack, you know, veggies, nuts, another 90 minute block of work, lunch, another 90 minute block of work, snack. By then I'm usually pretty smoked. So it's like three 90 minute, really intense blocks of work, which is uh, usually a pretty good day. If I'm under pressure to get some stuff done uh, or, you know, it's a long day with a mass amount of stuff to get to, I will do one more block of work and then try to spend some time with my family, my kids, take Ingrid to swimming if she needs to go to swimming, uh, and then do dinner, you know, stories, all that sort of stuff. If I am in Toronto, one of the things that I, where I live, uh, which is sort of like half the time, two thirds of the time I'm actually here. Yeah. Um, I will, I will always put my kids to bed. Uh So I will, if I'm out of the, out of, I have an office at home and an office downtown. So if I'm at, in Toronto, I will always come home, do dinner, put my kids to bed or take Ingrid to swimming. And then if I need to do more more work, I'll do more work after. But I'm very deliberate about trying to be home with my kids to make sure that they have dinner with me and they know that I'm here. Uh, And then, you know, if if I'm traveling, that's FaceTime. Just do the video calls at that point in time. Uh, Spend a little bit of time with Judith chatting uh, at the end of the day. Judith's my wife. And then, you know, try to be in bed. I go to bed early, like 9, 9.30. I'm usually pretty dead by that point in time. And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, and, and go from there. But that's a, that's a typical structure. It's pretty intense. I'm trying to do a lot of stuff. I've got a lot, I've chosen to, to try to accomplish a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, I, cause I like it. I love the work that I do. It's a, it's a choice. And 
I'm very fortunate. It doesn't really feel like work. It's, you know, even on days off, I would probably end up doing what I'm doing anyway. It's just I kind of enjoy it. And it's it's a it's fun. It's a kick. Yeah. So, but it is a lot, and you know, you do get run down sometimes. So, uh, we do program in a lot of breaks. If I've got five weeks of vacation coming up in about three weeks, so I'm just sort of crawling across the finish line to get to that point, which is exciting. We'll go into you know a whole bunch of different places around the world just to chill out and explore and do fun stuff. So. Wow. Uh, the intensity is balanced throughout the course of the year. It's not. It's not balanced on a day to day basis. It's definitely balanced out on a on a quarter to a year basis. After that, but that's what a typical day will look like. Wow, amazing! I uh, I'm curious too. Like in your book, The Ripple Effect, you talk a lot about sleeping and sleeping better. And I know a lot of us could use some advice on that. I, I know I can. I should speak for myself. Um, I'm just curious what you, you're discovering about sleep and what you've discovered about sleep and how you integrate that into your, your life as well. Um, yeah, sleep's so foundational. Uh, I did write a chapter on sleep in The Ripple Effect. Uh, Matthew Walker, Dr. Matthew Walker wrote a book called Why We Sleep, which you know is a you know, 300 pages versus my 20. <laughs> yeah. Really want to dig deep. If you want to, if Cole's notes view, that's The Ripple Effect. Um, if you want the deep dive, that's Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. Uh, and it's the foundation for everything. If you sleep well, then you'll be going to be able to make good decisions around food. Sleep controls leptin and ghrelin, two hormones that control your appetite and satiety. When you sleep, you release growth hormone, which heals and repairs your body. Uh, we know that sleep's correlated with inflammation inside the body, which is related to cancer, heart disease, depression. We know that there's a very, very high correlation, uh, bi-directional correlations between the amount that you sleep and obesity. We know that there's relationships between sleep and mental health, depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. with lack of sleeping, an independent risk factor for depression. So very, very important <laughs> stuff there. Uh, we know we know why we sleep. There's been some research done by Jeff Illiff, I-L-L-I-F-F, uh, highlighted in his TED Talk, which people can look up that shows that the brain has a system called the glio-lymphatic system, whereby the brain washes itself out every single night while we sleep. So Really important stuff, super interesting and, and absolutely critical for all of us to consider as a massive priority in our life because we learn when we sleep, we're creative when we sleep, we problem solve while we sleep, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I've prioritized sleep. I being, you know, me, Judith, my kids uh, really have tried to prioritize sleep in our family, really prioritize it when I'm traveling, which is like half the time. And so we've done little things like install blackout blinds. We try to be consistent with what time we go to bed. We have really good sleep protocols for the kids. Judith and I try to do our best to have good sleep protocols. Um, that will, you know, we're going to redo a bunch of stuff uh, in our house over the next three to five years with a priority on creating a, a health home with sleep being part of that. So, you know, temperature mm. controls. Because we know that you sleep better at 18 to 19 degrees Celsius. We know that you sleep better in a pitch black room. People sleep better when they go to bed consistently. People sleep better when they don't use the snooze uh, function on their alarms. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of things like that. We just got a new mattress for our kids because we wanted to switch it up and get um, better mattresses for for the, for the for our family. So, yeah, sleep's a priority. Make it a priority. Understand that you can always learn to sleep better, no matter if you're a great sleeper, you're a terrible sleeper. You uh, can learn to sleep better, even if you've never slept well your entire life. Uh, building those sleep protocols around what you do in the last hour will help you massively getting some control and some space between your day and when you fall asleep to give you a chance to unwind so you're not falling into bed straight from your computer. <laughs> yeah, Probably a good idea. Absolutely. Uh, so anyway, yeah, lots of things you can do there and an absolutely massive priority for people if you want to live a great life. Wow. I Something that you were saying earlier in relation to this was um, when the unexpected happens and it's like you were talking about intention versus reality. And you know... Oftentimes I find, you know, an unexpected event's going to come up that I didn't plan for. And all of a sudden I find myself, I'm out till, I don't know, one in the morning and my sleep schedule gets thrown off or, you know, something comes up in the schedule that I wasn't expecting and everything gets delayed. And then the emails pile up and the, the, the tension and the anxiety starts building. How do, how do you cope with that? Any suggestions on how to deal with the unexpected when that happens? Yeah, I mean that's life, right? <laughs> it is. What you, it's yeah. what you choose, and then there's what what life throws at you, which is not within your choice. Sure. Um, and if it, if there was nothing unexpected, life would be boring. <laughs> it's super boring, right? So, the unexpected is wonderful. It's what adds spice to life. Obviously, we don't want the unexpected, like that phone call with someone in your family who's not well, or an accident, 
uh, where someone that you love has been um, hurt, like that that's unexpected and horrific. And we've just got to deal with that as fast as possible. But in general, the approach that I am trying to work on doing myself that I've learned from a number of different people, uh, you know, some friends of mine that are special forces and SWAT team, you know, uh, always talk about creating time and space. Mm-hmm. So between an a stressor or an action or an environmental event that happens around us or to us, there's the opportunity or we seek to find opportunities to create time and space. You need some time before you have to you, to deal with it. And even if that's moving it from a tenth of a second to one second, it makes a difference. From one second to five seconds makes a difference. From five seconds to 20 seconds makes a difference. 20 seconds to a minute, you know, a minute to five minutes, five minutes to an hour, those sorts of things. Mm. Um, is more The more space that you can take, the better. That might even be like one deep breath before saying something in response to someone. Um, the goal of creating that time and space between yourself and whatever that, hap- whatever that stressor happens to be is to shift you from reacting to the event, which typically doesn't go well, yeah. Uh, unless you're deeply trained in that reaction, that's, you know, that's part of the JT, that's part of the, um, special forces and, and SWAT team training that occurs is to have those reactions deeply programmed. So if something does happen, you know what to do in that instant and you've trained yourself to do that. Most of us don't have that training. Yeah. Therefore shifting from reaction to response is the key because when you shift to a response, it's deliberate, it's intentional, it's under your control. Um, a gentleman whose book I read called Inner Engineering, names, uh, his name is Sadhguru from India, defines that whole process as, as increasing your ability to have response ability, response dash ability, ah. not, res- not responsibility. And, and that's crucial because then you're taking control of a situation that is actually out of control for most people. Um, and when we're able to do that, that's key. How do you do that? Create time and space. Um, when you do that, you ha- you also then have one other layer of, of uh, options for you, and that is the ability to choose whether or not you perceive it as stressful, as a distressor or a you know challenge. Mm. And over and over and over again, we see that successful people, and I define success not in terms of money, but in terms of the quality of someone's life. Uh, successful people will, where wherever possible, uh, perceive things as challenges, not as threats. Wow. So if you see something as a threat, that's fine. It's your choice to do that. Um, but you can also choose to see it as a challenge. When you see it as a challenge, it tends to have positive physiological responses. When you see it as a threat, it has negative physiological responses. Mm. And understand that that is 100% in your control, and that is your decision to make. Uh, because different people respond to the same events in completely different ways. And so we can shift ourselves from threat to challenge. And when you do that, then all of a sudden you get a lot more control over your life and a lot more happiness to take it a step further. Some people can choose to be joyful and blissful as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you're really deeply trained in this stuff. So I'm definitely not there yet all the time, but that's, that is something that is, that is possible to, to achieve if you really, really work at it. Yeah. You're reminding me of a quote by one of my mentors, Wayne, Dr. Wayne Dyer used to say, when you, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, it's like this whole concept of perspective and how you're looking at things. It's uh, totally. And that's true. Like down to the quantum level, right? Like it, below atoms, below all of the, you know, when, when we observe things like Heisenberg uncertainty principle, I think is what it's called in the, in the literature. I could be wrong. So if, if you're listening to this and you're like, actually, no, it's not that Greg message me and I will make sure to correct it in the future. But basically that by observing something, you change it. Yes. And that's true in quantum physics. And so it's probably, it's, you know, it's as a fundamental unit of the universe, it's probably true at much higher levels as well. Oh, it's so fascinating when we start getting into the quantum level of how things work. I yeah, uh, yeah. I was I was curious about all that. Like when I was when I was listening to you speak, because it was uh, there was a lot of like intention and there was a lot of like a lot of science that backs up what you're saying. And I'm just what do you, what's your perspective on um, how spirituality plays into all that? Um. So I'm a physiologist and a scientist. And so my experience in, in spirituality is extraordinarily limited. Um, I would say like I'm an observer, not a, not a practitioner. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Um, 
I don't, and does anybody know? Like we're all, <laughs> exactly. sort of, yeah, we actually don't. Hey, Greg. Hey, man, I'm back. <laughs> I love that we were talking about, does anybody know? And then it just dropped out. I was like, this is oh, great. Oh, that's so hilarious. <laughs> Perfect You know time. what? Like we could actually like not edit that out. That would be quite, quite funny. I think so too. Um, <laughs> yeah. So just, yeah, to, to, to leverage on all of that, um, you know, as I was, as I was described, like, does anybody know? That's actually when my computer died. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I called now back into this call and um, here we are back again. But yeah, that's probably a good place to leave that one. It's like, does anybody know? I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm exploring a bunch of different stuff. No idea how it'll land. And uh, maybe someday in the future, I'll get a lot more enlightened than I am at the moment. Yeah. I just love how <laughs> synchronistic that is that the phone drops on <laughs> the most like out there question of the call. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, so like right there, you're like, so is that the universe like dropping a hint that hey no actually I'm here like this is yeah you know um, anyway so exactly but, yeah the, so the people with of faith who are listening to this like of course God just cut you off right at that moment and the people <laughs> the scientists are like that was just random chance so anyway <laughs> exactly. who knows where that I have no idea exactly well I just I noticed a lot of that happening it seems like in your life I know it happens in mine and maybe it's partly from travel partly you know, we don't really know but this this whole idea of synchronicity and how everything seems to be happening in some way orchestrated on time like it just seems like that but we don't really know any comments on that aspect of things. Um, yeah, I mean, so I've, I've heard a bunch of different people talk about that. And so I'm now sort of sharing my observations, uh, of what other people have said. This is not mine. This is not based on science because I'm not an expert in this, in this area, but, um, I've, I've heard some scientists talk about this and they talk about mirror neurons and, uh, and again, I might be completely butchering this. So this is just clearly established. This is not Greg's area of expertise. I'm just sharing some stuff that I've, I've seen and heard. Yeah. Um, so when you get a new car, let's say you go and buy a Tesla, right? I'm sure that as soon as you think about getting a Tesla, you're like, holy smokes, there's a lot of Teslas on the road. Right. But until that moment, you never noticed a Tesla before, right? So it could be that when you're thinking about certain things, you're more aware about those things. Therefore, you notice those things. Therefore, you think that there's synchronicity. Um, and that's one possible explanation for all of it. There's probably a physiological um, explanation for that in our neurophysiology that I'm not super familiar with, but I, I think that some people probably are. Um, and then there's the other possibility, which is like, there may be the quote unquote universe or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, synchronizing some events or opening up possibilities or all of that other stuff. So yeah. I don't know if, as, as a scientist, I'm going to go with the mirror, mirror neuron hypothesis on that one. Um, but I also believe that we are far more in control of our lives than we think. And so, by having certain thoughts, by having certain intentions, by setting certain affirmations, by ch making certain choices, um, that things, uh, if we are determined enough, will tend to go in our favor. Um, and again, I'm as atheist as they come, but to you know, quote the Bible, there's like, you know, God helps those who help themselves, probably some wisdom in that. Yeah. And uh, again, the, you know, the, the, the people of faith listening are probably like, of course, right? And, <laughs> and the, the scientists are like, well, it's just when you work hard, you get what you deserve. So, right. um, yeah, I think everyone can, this applies to this sort of universal human truths, right? And uh, I certainly have leveraged that a lot and uh, it has made a huge difference in my life. And there have been some cool circumstances that have emerged that I've been able to take, it, take advantage of and some really awesome observations and like mind-blowing moments you're like holy smokes i can't believe that just happened hmm. the way that it happened at this particular instant in time right like just the wonder that exists within life is so awesome yeah. um, if you're actually awake and aware and you choose to allocate your attention not just you know outwards but inwards as well so yeah there's a lot of stuff going on that, uh i'm not an expert in but it's certainly fun to play in the area yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That's one of the things I, I've absolutely loved just encountering you and your work is for in some way it's it for me, I've really felt um, more connection to synchronicity. And then last week, my wife happened to be at this conference called APCO out in Halifax. And there you are as ah. the, the keynote speaker. I'm thinking <laughs> right. everything is just so connected in, in some way. And it's, uh, it's profound. And I, I just absolutely love this work that you're you're putting out there. And and all of this research too that that's gone into it, so it's uh, it's incredible. 
Yeah, thanks, buddy. I love your work too, your music and everything that you're doing to make the world a better place. And the fact that we have the opportunity to do these podcasts and conversations and share it with the world is like, life is so awesome right now. Like there's so much possibility. There's so many opportunities. There's so much out there. And uh, like this could not have happened probably even five years ago. Yeah, isn't that true? uh, Like it's just so great. Like there's no question there's some difficulties in the world, but there's also... It, things have never been better. There's never been this much opportunity. There's never been, the world has never been in a better state than it is at the moment. And you can agree or disagree with that, but like, look at any statistics. This is by far the greatest time ever to be alive. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's super cool. It's like it's such an honor and a privilege and it's so much fun. And I'm, I'm so glad to be here. I'll yeah. try to stick around for as long as possible until, uh, yeah, until we set up my skeleton to be found in, in <laughs> exactly. 10,000 years and someone go, holy shit, what happened to this guy? So anyway, yeah. Exactly. I love it, Greg. Well, I really, really want to just let you know how much I appreciate you and your work. And I want to encourage people to definitely stay in touch with, with you and, and definitely read the books. They're really game changers and put a lot of great things into practice. So um, thanks for being here on the podcast today. And I'm so excited to run into you at the next event. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. Great to chat to you. Keep up the great work. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, social media is all at Dr. Greg Wells. Website's www.drgregwells.com. Just fire a message to me. I'll get it. And uh, I'll try to respond to to all of you eventually. I'll get to it. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you very much, Greg. Okay. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. Yep. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Dr. Greg Wells is a wealth of knowledge and inspiration, and I think I'm taking away personally just the reminder to be intentional, but also to make room for synchronicity and the greater universe to open me up to exactly where I'm supposed to be in the present moment, perfectly on time. So thank you again, all of you, for tuning in weekly, listening to this podcast, and I really look forward to you joining me on the next episode of Let's Connect.